You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Whatever else former FBI Director Comey told the Senate, one thing is clear. He's convinced the Russians are fully committed to influence operations and that they'll be back. More on disinformation and hacking in Qatar. Fresh malware surfaces on the Android ecosystem. Mousing over a malicious hyperlink can now be an infection vector. The GDPR and some thoughts on the distinctions among anonymity, privacy, and security. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Friday, June 9th, 2017. Former FBI Director Comey's testimony yesterday before the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee has proved something of a Rorschach test for media observers. As Wired's headline writers put it, James Comey said exactly what you wanted him to say. There's indeed much on which partisans on both sides may fasten, and fasten they have. So we leave these dueling narratives to sort themselves out and turn to something less ambiguous, Russian influence operations during the U.S. presidential elections. Comey said, quote, there was a massive effort to target government and near-governmental agencies like nonprofits. End quote. The former FBI director said he became aware of the campaigns in 2015, which would be around the time Cozy Bear began its quiet snuffling at U.S. political networks, and long before Fancy Bear barged noisily into the Democratic National Committee's servers. There were, Comey said, hundreds of entities targeted, so the operations were not confined to the DNC. Much commentary has talked up the novelty of the operation, representing election influence as something new under the sun. But of course it's not, and Comey was quite clear on that point, describing such operations as representing long-standing Russian practice. They'll be back, he noted. To summarize some recent Russian operations post-November, they appear to have taken a swipe at President Macron's campaign in France and possibly at the snap elections Prime Minister May called in the U.K., The U.K. case is interesting in that there seems to have been some organized sock puppetry in Twitter mobilized in the interest of Labour leader Corbyn. Influence efforts in France seem to have had little effect. Whatever took place in the U.K. was overshadowed by terrorism and ongoing controversy over Brexit. Prime Minister May's Tories lost seats, but she will still seek to form a government. Another influence operation does seem to have had significant effect. This one aimed at discrediting Qatar's government with hoaxed communications expressing support for Zionism and Iran's Shiite Islamic Republic. 
The U.S. FBI, which is assisting with the investigation, thinks the Russians indeed are already back, as former Director Comey predicted. In this case, there's a progression from doxing to disinformation, fake news, and this represents an escalation in an ongoing information war. More problems arise within the Android ecosystem to trouble enterprise users. Zscaler reports a malicious Android package representing itself as a cleaning app from Google, Kay's Cleaner. It secures admin rights on infected devices and uses them to display ads, download other apps, and so forth. And Kaspersky has found rooting malware DVMap hiding behind a simple puzzle game, Color Block. Google has ejected this one from the Play Store. Various security companies report seeing new malware, Zussi, in spam campaigns. Its payload is delivered in a malicious PowerPoint file that infects users who mouse over links in the presentation. Many researchers warn that this represents a new and insidious infection vector. You needn't click to catch this virus. Just position the cursor over the malicious hyperlink and bam, you're caught. Popular cryptocurrency exchange BTCE has been sustaining distributed denial-of-service attacks since this Monday. Users are unhappy, and the exchange can't be happy either. Such exchanges depend on high availability for their survival in the market. There's now less than a year before the European Union's General Data Privacy Regulation, or GDPR, takes full effect. It will have effect far beyond the EU, and enterprises worldwide are working fitfully to prepare themselves. We received comments from security firm Intrepid's Lance Cottrell in an email. Tracking, he argues, is here to stay, because collecting user data drives the Internet economy. Innovation in data collecting will continue its seesaw competition with law and regulation. Cottrell said, quote, The GDPR is focused on notice, consent, control, and security. Websites need to let users know what is being collected. Users must opt in to having their data collected and stored. They have a right to have their information deleted and to take it to another website. Finally, businesses have an obligation to protect the data they collect. End quote. We'll see stricter breach reporting requirements, he believes, and users will have a right to ask that their data be deleted, but he thinks not many people will take the trouble to ask that they be forgotten. The main effect users will see are notices that the websites they visit are collecting all kinds of information. You can agree, or you can get off the site. A lot of vendors are enhancing the privacy features of their products, but there are distinctions to be made here among privacy, anonymity, and security. Intrepid's Cottrell would like to remind everyone that these changes won't necessarily make you more secure. He notes, for example, that the intelligence tracking prevention capability Apple's Safari browser boasts will help with privacy, but it's far short of giving you anonymous surfing. Quote, it should reduce the creepy experience of seeing a product you looked at in an online store stalking you across the entire web. End quote. So, maybe less creepy, but not at all anonymous. The internet still knows it's you, even if it's not always showing you ads for veterinary products to help care for your pet wombat. And you just had to post pictures of Sammy the pet wombat on all your social media accounts, didn't you? After all, Sammy is just too cute to keep to yourself. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. 
Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. Joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's a senior law and policy analyst at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Uh, ben, welcome back. A uh, story came by on the Miami Herald about Florida pushing towards uh, being able to go after people who use Bitcoin, uh, having them face money laundering charges. What do we need to know about this? Sure. So before uh, this law was considered, and it has been uh, passed by both houses of the Florida State Legislature, people using Bitcoin for nefarious activities, for uh, drugs or prostitution, were not subject to prosecution under state money laundering laws because under Florida state law, Bitcoin didn't qualify uh, as money under the under the legal definition. Uh, if this bill were to pass, it would bring into parity the definition of money. So if somebody used Bitcoin to procure drugs or to procure some other sort of illegal services, they would be subject to prosecution for money laundering. And I think it's an effort to modernize our laws to recognize that these online currencies can function as actual currency. And but there's there's some pushback on this. I saw there was a gentleman named Charles Evans who's a uh, an economist and and a virtual currency expert said that uh, before long we're going to see coat checks, tickets to Disney World and discount coupons regulated as money in Florida. What's your take on that? Yeah, so there is a potential slippery slope argument. I think what that professor has argued is that Bitcoin isn't actually money. It's not, you know, protected by the Federal Reserve. It's not issued as a currency. It's more like a piece of property, like any sort of valuable piece of property that can be traded for for anything else. Uh, and I think that's a, a valid viewpoint. I think, you know, when somebody makes a slippery slope argument, I'm always suspicious because most in most cases, we don't actually follow the slope. I don't think there's going to be any effort at the state legislature 
to uh, arrest people for selling coat checks and, and tickets to Disney World. Right. I think the reason it makes sense for Bitcoin is it really does serve as a currency replacement, as opposed to any sort of piece of tangible property, which may, in limited circumstances, you know, fill in for, for currency, but it's not, it doesn't to the same degree that Bitcoin does. I mean, there are millions of transactions online where Bitcoin is, is the means of exchange. And I think uh, the state of Florida is recognizing that the laws have to conform to that reality. And so let's say Florida enacts this law. Uh, would other states uh, be expected to follow? I think uh, Florida might be the first in a long line of states who seek to remedy this problem. What, what a criminal statute for money laundering is trying to prevent is the sale of goods and services that society has deemed undesirable or, or illegal. And if we are not able to prosecute because the currency uses an online currency instead of a actual uh, Federal Reserve issued currency, uh, I think the purpose of our money laundering laws uh, wouldn't be fulfilled in the, in the same way. So I think it's important uh, for other states to look at what Florida is doing and potentially modernize uh, their laws to bring this, these uh, Bitcoin type online currencies into the legal framework. All right, Ben Yellen, as always, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. My guest today is Will Ackerley. He's the founder of Virtru, a security company that specializes in privacy and data security. He joins us today to discuss recent changes in the ways Internet service providers can handle your private data, changing privacy regulations in the EU, and the notion of there being a right to be forgotten online. There's been a lot of uncertainty about the future uh, in the United States, clearly with how ISPs are going to be regulated moving forward uh can they sell your data can they do it whatever they want with it and then you know in in europe with gdpr coming into force in 2018 a lot of questions about how that's going to have an impact on companies really everywhere in terms of enforcing the obligations that they have and in gdpr in particular has a section around the right to be forgotten where if an individual wants, they can say not only, hey, I want my data back for portability, but rather I don't want you to have my data anymore and have guarantees around that. So uh, I think it's becoming a lot more thought about by companies, uh, by lawmakers and individuals. How is it shaking out? You know, I, 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 so we see some of the large companies who sort of take the side on that privacy is a priority. And then obviously some of the other large providers say, no, we're, we're going to use as much data as possible to, uh, to be able to sell ads to you or be able to customize our, our presentation of the things we present to you. Um, is there any you know, sense for what direction is, uh, is sort of winning out in that, that tension between them? 
Yeah, I think, you know, the natural market dynamics in the, you know, over the last decade or so has been working really in, in the favor of, of the large uh, companies that are gathering our data and monetizing at scale. The Economist had two articles really where they said that, you know, data this century is what oil was for the last century. And, and that really bears out if you look at companies with incredibly large uh, market caps, right? I mean, Facebook is one where, in a sense, like your data is what gives them value. The European law uh, and lawmakers have said, as lawmakers, as, as a very large market, they have an opportunity that they're seizing upon to say, look, where, where market forces might not be working in favor of consumers, where consumers might think they don't have a choice or they're not feeling necessarily the consequences at, a, at a, an individual level or, or what have you, there is some momentum that direction. And I think there is a huge opportunity to demonstrate that from a technical standpoint, it is possible to take that law and memorialize it in a way where uh, individuals, regardless of what might happen tomorrow, will have a persistent control over their data. These large service providers are international companies. So how will the restrictions in Europe affect their, uh, their processes, their, the, how, they, how they handle privacy here in the United States? Is it going to be easier for them to adopt one standard so that they don't have to worry about data you know, flying back and forth or inadvertently finding itself overseas? Yeah, I think uh, generally the way um, companies we've seen uh, are doing this is if they have a requirement um, that has any value elsewhere, they're going to deploy it across their entire infrastructure. It also is just from a cost-saving standpoint, right? You don't want to have to maintain, you know, two separate frameworks. Uh, so you have really what amounts to a high watermark in a lot of cases. And so you have, in a sense, trickle-down effects where, you know, they put the work in. It's The, the NRE is done, right? That, that non-recurring engineering cost to solve the problem one place means that much higher likelihood it'll be that'll be used elsewhere. So I'm, I'm optimistic. There are a lot of companies that I've talked to uh, who are excited about the opportunity actually to put control very aggressively back into the hands of the individual. Hmm. There are some companies that say, look, this is impractical. This is too short of a time frame and are really, really pushing back. But I do see some people leaning forward and saying, no, this is really going to be good for the individual. Swinging back to the, the notion of the right to be forgotten, with so much data being stored in the cloud at other places, how can a service provider guarantee to an individual that a piece of data has actually been deleted? Uh, I, I, I think about the, you know, the distributed nature of, of storing all that data and even that it's, it's duplicated and backed up and um, right. you know, locked away places. Um, how can that promise be trusted? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. In, in a lot of cases, you're still going to have to trust the providers you know, with your data. There are cases where we can move that ball forward and you can have actual confidence because the data that you submit into the cloud can start its life encrypted. If you take you know, cloud storage or even email, for instance, you can encrypt uh, the files that you share and the emails that you send in a way where your providers never have access to begin with. Right. So so those those can start their life in a way where they don't have access and it's and it's in a sense already forgotten. But you can start from that position and say, OK, at, from that point, I can then affirmatively make choices around under what conditions that data can get unlocked. 
and provide additional value and insight. But where your data, even if it's backed up on a tape or um, on, you know, copied, you know, globally, if that data is encrypted with a key that you control, if you delete that key, then you can have a cryptographic guarantee that all of those copies are inaccessible. Um, there are caveats, obviously, in terms of if you if someone else has already unlocked it, you know, what sort of strength of protection is there and in, uh, in terms of the obligation not to store that key somewhere. But there, but there are techniques out there. Our thanks to Will Ackerley from Vertru for joining us today. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.